0: Principal magnet of our family, Miss Trotwood, or Miss Betsy, as my poor mother always called her, when she sufficiently overcame her dread of this formidable personage to mention her at all—which was seldom—had been married to a husband younger than herself, who was fairly handsome, except in the sense of the homely adage, "handsome is that handsome does," or he was strongly suspected of having beaten Miss Betsy and even of having once, on a disputed question of supplies, made some hasty but determined arrangements to throw her out of a two-pair-of-stairs window. These evidences of an incompatibility of temper induced Miss Betsy to pay him off, and effect a separation by mutual consent. He went to India with his capital, and there, according to a wild legend in our family, he was once seen riding on an elephant in company with a baboon, but I think it must have been a baboo or a begum. Anyhow, from India, tidings of his death reached home within ten years. How they affected my aunt nobody knew, for immediately upon the separation she took her maiden name again, bought a cottage in a hamlet on the sea coast a long way off, established herself there as a single woman with one servant, and was understood to live secluded ever afterwards in an inflexible retirement. My father had once been a favorite of hers, I believe, but she was mortally affronted by his marriage on the ground that my mother was a wax doll. She'd never seen my mother, but she knew her to be not yet twenty. My father and Miss Betsy never met again. He was double my mother's age when he married, and of but a delicate constitution. He died a year afterwards, and as I've said, six months before I came into the world. This was the state of matters, on the afternoon of what I may be excused for calling that eventful and important Friday. I can make no claim, therefore, to have known, at that time how matters stood— or to have any remembrance founded upon the evidence of my own senses of what follows. My mother was sitting by the fire, but poorly in health and very low in spirits, looking at it through her tears, and desponding heavily about herself and the fatherless little stranger, who was already welcomed by some grosses of some prophetic pins in a drawer upstairs, to a world not at all excited on the subject of his arrival. My mother, I say, was sitting by the fire, that bright windy March afternoon, very timid and sad, and very doubtful of ever coming alive out of the trial that was before her. When, lifting her eyes as she dried them to the window opposite, she saw a strange lady coming up the garden. My mother had a sure foreboding at the second glance that it was Miss Betsy. The setting sun was glowing on the strange lady over the garden fence, and she came walking up to the door with a fell rigidity of figure and composure of countenance that could have belonged to nobody else. When she reached the house she gave another proof of her identity— My father had often hinted that she seldom conducted herself like any ordinary Christian, and now, instead of ringing the bell, she came and looked in at that identical window, pressing the end of her nose against the glass to that extent that my poor dear mother used to say it became perfectly flat and white in a moment. She gave my mother such a turn that I've always been convinced I'm indebted to Miss Betsy for having been born on a Friday. My mother had left her chair in her agitation and gone behind it in the corner— Miss Betsy, looking round the room slowly and inquiringly, began on the other side and carried her eyes on like a Saracen's head in a Dutch clock until they reached my mother. Then she made a frown and a gesture to my mother, like one who was accustomed to be obeyed to come and open the door. My mother went. "'Mrs. David Copperfield, I think,' said Miss Betsy, the emphasis referring, perhaps, to my mother's morning weeds and her condition. "'Yes,' said my mother faintly. "'Miss Trotwood,' said the visitor.' "'You've heard of her, I dare say.' "'My mother agreed she'd had that pleasure, "'and she had a disagreeable consciousness "'of not appearing to imply "'that it had been an overpowering pleasure. "'Now you see her,' said Miss Betsy. "'My mother bent her head and begged her to walk in. "'They went into the parlour my mother had come from, "'the fire in the best room on the other side of the passage "'not being lighted, "'not having been lighted indeed since my father's funeral. "'And when they were both seated, "'and Miss Betsy said nothing,' "'My mother, after vainly trying to restrain herself, began to cry. "'Oh, tut, tut, tut,' said Miss Betsy and hurry. "'don't do that. Come, come.' "'My mother couldn't help it notwithstanding, "'so she cried until she'd had her cry out. "'Take off your cap, child,' said Miss Betsy, "'and let me see you.' "'My mother was too much afraid of her to refuse compliance with this odd request, "'if she had any disposition to do so. "'Therefore she did as she was told.' and did it with such nervous hands that her hair, which was luxuriant and beautiful, fell all about her face. "'Why, bless my heart!' exclaimed Miss Betsy. "'You are a very baby!' My mother was no doubt unusually youthful in appearance even for her years. She hung her head, as if it were a fault, poor thing, and said, sobbing, that indeed she was afraid she was but a childish widow, and would be but a childish mother if she lived."